so recently we've been talking about how uh, when Jesus, the good news of Jesus touches things, people believe the good news of Jesus that brings salvation. Last time we talked about how the good news of Jesus brings salvation even to civil governments, even into politics, the way we organize societies and nations. I want to share one more observation today, just briefly. And if you are offended by somebody talking politics, then let me encourage you, feel free not to watch this one. But the question is often asked, um, what's the difference between conservatives and liberals? More importantly, actually, the question is asked, why is it that so many Christians are politically conservative? I mean, and, and, and people get really angry because they feel like, oh, it's because they're uniting Christianity and, you know, and, and politics, you know, in some untoward way. Can I suggest to you that there's actually a deeper philosophical reasoning why many Christians tend to be conservative and not liberal. Now, what I'm about to share is to be taken um, advisedly. What I'm about to share is to be understood as underlying philosophy. There are individual people who are conservative or liberal and it's not because of these underlying philosophies. You know, there's some people that are conservative because they are selfish and they just don't want to help other people with their money. They don't want to be generous. Um, there are some people who are liberal because they are generous and they believe it's the best way to help people. So I'm not talking about that. I'm asking, in general, why is it that Christians tend to be politically conservative and as opposed to politically liberal. And I, I want to suggest it has to do with the underlying philosophy and which is more consistent with scripture or not. Um, you can trace it all the way back. The difference is back maybe to the enlightenment and the uh, fruit of the enlightenment as examples. But conservatives and liberals tend to take a completely different underlying approach to their thinking. Conservatives, in their political thinking, tend to think like Jeremiah in Jeremiah 6.16 when he says, Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. This is the approach that says... We don't have wisdom in ourselves today. Um, we are not all wise. We need to look to God for wisdom. We need to look to the ancient paths. We need to look to see what has worked in the past, what's been blessed in the past, and let's apply those things to the present. You know, one of the um, arguments against this is people saying, hey, you know, you're trying to live in the 1950s. You know, they're trying to turn back the clock is the kind of arguments you'll sometimes hear about this. But our founders took this philosophical approach. They looked to the past. The Bible was the most often uh, referenced book in, um, in our founding writings. And then they applied those principles to their present situation for how to move forward. 
Liberals, on the other way, again, philosophically, out of the Enlightenment, the tendency is not to look to the past, but to look to the future. Think about what happened in, um, in Enlightenment France during the French Revolution, where they, they didn't look to the past in contrast to the American Revolution and say, what can we learn from the past? They looked at themselves, they threw out the church, they threw out the Bible, they still said they were for freedom and equality and fraternity, but it was based on power. It brought the reign of terror because freedom and justice were determined by those in power. And if you are rich, if you were formerly powerful, then you are going to come under their judgment. The idea was not, what does the past say about justice? What does God say about right and wrong and equality? It was, what do we feel? We look to the future. Um, liberal philosophy um, leans very heavily on, on Hegel's philosophy of progress. That's why liberals sometimes call themselves progressives. Hegel did not believe in transcendent truth. He believed the truth is found in moving forward. And so he came up with this philosophy of there's, there's a thesis met by an antithesis, which becomes a synthesis that creates a new thesis. So you have a state of being that is then challenged. It becomes a new state of being, and that becomes challenged. And we see this um, in our world that's become um, unbound by, you know, disconnected from transcendent truth. You know, back in the 1960s, you had the sexual revolution, for instance. And the sexual revolution said, hey, let's break the bonds of traditional sexual mores. Let's set, us, set ourselves free from those Christian standards of sex. And so they did. And over time in the United States, there was a new norm. So there was the thesis, the traditional Christian morality, met by the antithesis, the sexual revolution, that created a new synthesis, a new thesis, a new sexual morality that became dominant in the United States. And now in the 2010s, 2020s, what's happened? A new challenge has come. A new antithesis has come. How do you challenge the status quo of sexual morality today? Homosexuality. Polygamy, swingers, you know, all kinds of different pornography, transgender sexuality. Hegelian philosophy sees society as inevitably progressing because truth is in people. And we are always discovering the truth. And it always assumes, by the way, that, that we today are smarter than those in the past. We don't have to learn from the past because we're wiser, because we have greater truth, because we've lived after they lived. Christians, on the other hand, say, Jesus is progress. You want progressivism? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Christians would say, you don't get more progressive than the Bible. You want a government that works? Righteousness exalts a nation. 
That is not Christian nationalism. I'm, I'm completely against the idea of trying to unite church and state. It doesn't do either good when they're united. When church power becomes state power or when the state tries to do the work of the church, which, by the way, is what many try to do today. They want the state to be the compassion givers. They want the state to raise the children. Whenever church and state are united, it, it corrupts both. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the church having its, its God-given purpose to be the moral conscience of the nation. When righteousness exalts a nation, righteousness exalts a nation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. You want freedom? Know the truth. The truth will set you free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That is why throughout history, the most free people in the world are people who follow Jesus. And it's why I'm so proud of the good news of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ can give freedom. It is why the most free nations in the world are nations that have been formed with biblical principles. Freedom that doesn't lead to chaos. I'm so proud to be confident in the good news of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, again, for your word, we thank you. I pray that you would take anything that I've said today that may have been unnecessarily offensive and redeem it. Help us, though, now to think like your people in this time. And to think deeply and to love deeply as a result. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining me.